We find ourselves in Luke chapter 15 this morning as we continue our series, Mission of the Kingdom. In Luke 15, there are three incredible parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. We will cover two of those parables this morning as we look at verses 1 through 10 in a message entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace? Beginning in verse 1 of Luke 15, we read this from the Word of God. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that lost one? until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over the sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Or what woman? Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I'd lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The grass withers and the flower fades, but know not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Aren't you grateful we have the word of God this morning? Amen. You may be seated. Is it possible for one thing to be both absolutely amazing and utterly offensive at the same time? Is it possible for one thing, the same thing, to be thrilling and stunning for some, but repugnant to others? That's exactly what's happening here in Luke chapter 15. The grace of God, which many of you sing about, the grace of God, which many of you marvel about, the grace of God that many of you are grateful for, on the one hand, But for on the other, for some, it's offensive. You see that happening here, that sinners and tax collectors were experiencing the amazing grace of God, something that should be thrilling and amazing and captivating and joyful for all people. But for some, the religious establishment, the Pharisees, the religious elite that saw Jesus sitting and reclining with sinners and tax collectors, It was absolutely repugnant. It was absolutely offensive. And this is the grace that we see here in Luke chapter 15. The grace of God that has the power to transform sinners into saints and has the power to transform communities and nations and societies to bring people that were enemies together and make them one. This is the grace of God that we read about here in Luke 15. 
As I mentioned, we're only going to look at the first two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, spending the majority of our time this morning focusing on that first parable, the parable of the lost sheep. But in order uh, for us to understand what is so amazing about God's grace, what we consider amazing, what the world considers offensive, we need to first understand the reality of sin, secondly, the power of the gospel, and thirdly, the sacrifice of the shepherd. Let's study Luke 15 together this morning. What is so amazing about God's grace? Well, the first thing I want to point out here in Luke chapter 15 is the reality of sin. God's grace will never be truly amazing until we understand the reality and the depth of our sinfulness. In the first parable, Jesus uses a metaphor that he uses often, the metaphor of a shepherd and a sheep. Now, you might hear that metaphor of shepherd and sheep and say, wow, how beautiful. Jesus is the shepherd. I am the sheep. And it might give you a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. But this metaphor of shepherd and sheep is Jesus's way of insulting you. It is a metaphor to insult you. And this is what I mean. The shepherd and sheep metaphor is Jesus's way of saying, you are so utterly lost. You are so lost in your sin that you can't do a thing to save yourself. Philip Keller, who wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look from Psalm 23, Philip Keller was first a shepherd before he was a pastor and offers incredible insight into this shepherd-sheep metaphor. This is what he says about a sheep. He says a sheep, in context of this passage, is a stupid animal, absolutely lost, continually lost, and even when you find it, you must seize it throw it to the ground, tie its legs together, and throw it on your shoulders in order order for it to find its way home. You see, the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep is meant to remind you of the reality of your sin, that if you are saved this morning, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you did nothing to contribute to your salvation. It reminds us, one, that like sheep, we need to be rescued. Sheep graze, and if sheep graze and wander off without a shepherd, and there is a cliff nearby, if the shepherd is not there to prevent them from walking any further, the sheep will just keep on going and walk off the cliff and plunge to their death. Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to their own way. Like sheep, we need to be rescued. But it not only teaches us that we need to be rescued, it also tells us how thorough that rescue needs to be. You see, you might have rescued a dog, you might have rescued a cat, but Jesus is saying, unlike a cat or a dog that will immediately respond to the master's call, a sheep does not respond A sheep needs to be wrestled down to the ground, that there is nothing. This is not Jesus goes 50% of the way and you contribute the other 50% to your rescue, that you offer something for your salvation and Jesus accomplishes the rest. Not only do you need to be rescued, but the sheep shepherd metaphor tells us that from beginning to end, salvation is all the work 
of Jesus. It is all according to his sovereign grace. It is the shepherd pursuing the sheep from beginning to end. Zero cooperation. And just as Jesus needs to carry the sheep home, Jesus needs to carry you home. The scripture tells us that no one is righteous, no, not one. Theologians for centuries have been calling this the doctrine of the total depravity of humanity. Lost in our sin, not capable of doing anything good, not capable of producing a righteousness of our own. We are utterly lost in sin and contribute nothing to our salvation. It is only according to the pure grace of God. This was offensive in the first century and it's offensive to the modern mind. The doctrine of total depravity, the doctrine of original sin Even the great enlightenment thinkers tried to explain away sin and brokenness and chaos in the world. The great enlightenment thinkers said that original sin is something of the past. It's an archaic doctrine that humanity is born innocent. Two world wars later, those theories went out the window. But still the modern mind is perplexed by this idea of where does brokenness come from if it is not for the doctrine of original sin. No, what Jesus is teaching us here by the sheep and shepherd metaphor or the woman and the coin metaphor is that you contribute nothing. That is the depth and the reality of your sin. Jesus didn't come as a good teacher. Jesus didn't come as an inspirational leader. The world has seen them come and go. Jesus even said that there will be sages and prophets that will come and you will crucify them. Jesus didn't come as a teacher or an inspirational leader. He came as the savior of sinners. And that is the message that allows God's grace to be absolutely and utterly amazing. The second thing this passage teaches us about the amazing grace of God is the power of the gospel Go back to verses one and two. Verses one and two put the three parables in context. If you don't understand what's happening in verses one and two, you won't understand the context of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and as we'll see next week, the prodigal son. Jesus, it says, is sitting with tax collectors and sinners, and the religious elite don't know what to do with this. Why? Because every faith community, past and present, has been built on this premise, you belong to the faith community based on your obedience and your righteousness. The pure are in and the impure are out. The righteous get in and the unrighteous get out. Jesus is describing and illustrating in verses one and two, I've come to develop a whole new faith community that allows sinners and tax collectors to sit at the feet of the Son of God. I'm building a faith community that allows access to a righteous and holy God, that allows sinners and tax collectors to have access to a holy God. And not only is Jesus demonstrating in verses one and two the power of the gospel to reconcile humanity to God, but also reconcile humanity to one another. Tax collectors, and Pharisees, all brought together 
through Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, in the house of God together. This is the power of the gospel. And what Jesus is demonstrating is that there has been no and there will be no faith community like this. One that is established on the grace of Jesus Christ. The same power that reconciles humanity to God is the same power that reconciles humanity to one another. This is the power of the gospel that's being demonstrated in Luke chapter 15. And the sufficiency and the power of the gospel is under attack today, even inside the North American church. But we shouldn't be surprised because the power and the sufficiency of the gospel has always been under attack. You just take the last 200 years, for instance. Deep inside of every human heart is a longing for humanity to be reconciled. There's a longing for justice. We tried it with Marxism, and it led to communism, and it led to socialism. Maybe if we had identified the oppressed and the oppressor, we will somehow achieve economic justice through class warfare. Those movements have ended in misery and in infamy. You fast forward to the 21st century and the modern social justice movement and critical race theory, thinking that somehow we would achieve racial equality and justice through man-made systems and theories and movements to no avail, even creeping into the North American church, attacking the sufficiency and the power of the gospel. Listen to me. All of these movements and all of these theories have failed and they will fail because of this one truth that the only hope for humanity and the brokenness of this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in a world and a society and a culture crying for justice and crying for equality and crying for reconciliation, we announce to them the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient. And not only do we declare the sufficiency of the gospel against all other worldly systems and theories because the gospel is right and those theories are wrong, it's because to declare anything less than the gospel is wicked. It is wicked because we are robbing the world. Listen to me. We are robbing the world of the only thing that can ultimately bring hope, that can ultimately bring healing to sinners and ultimately bring healing to a lost and dying world. So when you hear people say, oh, you Christians oversimplifying the problems of this world, sprinkling a little Jesus here and sprinkling a little Jesus there, you say no. My gospel is sufficient. It is the power of God unto salvation. In Ephesians chapter two, when the apostle Paul declares that Jesus is our peace, that he has broken down the wall of hostility, he is declaring that the wall of hostility has come down, not only between God and humanity, but in that context between Jew and Gentile. 
Paul doesn't introduce a social system. He doesn't introduce a government program or another theory being taught in the North American university system. He offers them Jesus. This is the hope for a lost and dying world. We have the power in the message of the gospel and the world desperately needs it. Do you believe it? The power to transform marriages, the power to transform families, the power to transform churches and communities, the power to transform a nation. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it is sufficient. What's so amazing about grace, the reality of sin, the power of the gospel, third and lastly, we see the sacrifice of the shepherd. Many preachers often preach that the main characters in these three parables are the sheep and the coin and the son. But the main character in the story is the shepherd and the woman and the father. That all point to the search and the rescue mission of Jesus Christ. We see here, particularly in the parable of the good shepherd, that is the shepherd that does the soul saving. It is the shepherd that does the soul searching. It is the shepherd that does the soul rescuing. And in other passages, Jesus introduces himself as the good shepherd. And it's the most amazing claim for Jesus to call himself the shepherd Because when Jesus calls himself the shepherd, he is declaring to you and me that when he rescues you, he rescues all of you. That there's not one part of your life that now is not dependent upon him. He owns you. And we don't like that. We want our freedom and we want our independence. And it is the most astounding claim for Jesus to say, I am the shepherd. He's come to take all of you. Every square inch of your life belongs to the Lord, the great shepherd of the sheep. But the question is why? Why would we give our lives to this shepherd? Why would we give our lives, all of it, to the great shepherd of the sheep? Well, the great celebration of Passover happened every year for the Jewish community It's that great Passover meal that commemorated what happened thousands of years ago, that when the people of God were told that the angel of death would come and sweep over their homes as they were in captivity in Egypt and take the firstborn child, they were told to go and sacrifice a lamb. And on the night called Passover, they would take the blood of the sacrificed lamb and they would paint the blood over the doorway. And when the angel of death came sweeping over the homes, those homes would be rescued. Those homes would be saved. And every year annually, they would celebrate the great Passover meal. Well, Jesus right before his death is no exception. He brings his men together to celebrate the Passover meal. But it's the most peculiar Passover meal There's the bread, and there's the wine, but there's no lamb on the table. And the reason there's no lamb on the table is because the lamb was seated at the table. You see, Jesus would come not only as the great shepherd, but the great shepherd on the cross would become the great lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
It is Jesus the shepherd becoming the lamb of God, sacrificed for you and for me. It is the reality that Jesus as the lamb of God on the cross runs through the wall of hostility and takes on death and takes on our sin and takes on our unrighteousness and in return rescues us and gives us life. How could you not give your life to a shepherd like that. And do you see the result? When a sheep comes home, when the shepherd rescues the sheep, look what it says in verse seven and 10. There's a party, a party. It says that not only God rejoices, but it says that heaven rejoices as well. I wanna ask you this morning, will there be a party this morning for someone here or someone watching at home? that is lost, but now found. Someone who is lost in their sin, but for the first time this morning experiences God's amazing grace that understands the depth of their sin, that understands the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and understands the great sacrifice of the good shepherd of the sheep. Every other community says that entrance into it is based on your performance. But the community of faith of Jesus Christ is that it's based, entrance is based on the performance of another, based on the performance of Jesus Christ. Oh, he alone offers you this hope this morning that has the power to reconcile you to God and the power to reconcile you to one another. Only Jesus And his gospel offers us this hope. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ offers the world this hope this morning. Malcolm Muggeridge was a great British journalist. In the 1980s, he wrote this word concerning Jesus Christ. He said, we look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling. Revolutions and counter-revolutions. Wealth accumulating and then dispersed. One nation dominant and then another. Shakespeare speaks of the rise and the fall of the great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. In one lifetime, I've seen my own countrymen ruling over a quarter of the world, the great majority of them convinced in the words of what is still a favorite song that the God that made them mighty might make them mightier yet. I've heard a crazed, cracked Austrian proclaim to the world of the establishment of a German Reich that would reign for a thousand years. I've heard of an Italian clown announce he would restart the calendar to begin with his own assumption to power. A murderous man in the Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elite of the Western world as wiser than Solomon and more humane than Marcus Aurelius. I've seen America wealthier and in terms of military weaponry, more powerful than all the rest of the world together so that Americans had they wished could have outdone an Alexander or a Julius Caesar. All in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, gone with the wind. England now part of an island off the coast of Europe, threatened with dismemberment and even bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini dead and remembered in infamy. Stalin a forbidden name in the regime he helped to found and dominate for three decades. America haunted by fears of running out of the precious fluid that keeps the motorways roaring and the smog settling. All gone with the wind. 
but behind the debris of these solemn supermen and self-styled imperial diplomats, there stands the gigantic figure of one because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through him alone, mankind will still have peace. He is the person of Jesus Christ. I present him to you as the way, the truth, and the life. This is the incomparable Jesus Christ, and he is the incomparable Jesus Christ that we offer to the world. And so when our society says that Jesus isn't enough, and when our society says the gospel isn't enough, we need more, we declare to them again and again and again that we have one thing to offer and one thing to offer alone, and that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. His message of amazing grace, that's all we have to offer, but that's all that we need because he is more than enough. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, if we belong to Jesus this morning, may we not buy the temptation of our age that we need more than the gospel. May we not buy into the spirit of this age that we need more than Jesus. If all of the world's problems, if the problem of our souls is ultimately a problem of sin. How could we look anywhere else than the pure, glorious, amazing good news found in the gospel of Jesus Christ that reconciles sinners to God and reconciles sinners to one another? Jesus, you went through that wall of hostility and you are our peace. Nothing in this world can offer peace between God and man and nothing in this world can offer peace amongst humanity other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we cling to it. May we treasure it. And may we fight for it as a church. And if there's anyone here this morning that longs to be reconciled to God, longs to experience the goodness of the shepherd, May they be rescued today, not because of anything good they have done, but because of your finished work on the cross. May they look to you by faith alone, according to the grace of God alone, and recognize that while they were yet a sinner, Christ, you died for them. May you be saved today. That There is nothing above or below that will ever be able to save you, nothing that will be able to rescue you, nothing that will be able to justify your life. It is only found in the good news of Jesus Christ, experiencing, experience this morning for the first time how sweet it is to taste and see that the Lord is good, to experience his amazing grace, that you can say this morning that this can be your story. I was lost but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Believe and be saved. Be saved today. In Jesus' name, amen.